Past Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, and talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that he's talked about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball, and from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie. You believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, he is where he's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at, look at this. Brady is out. And uh, David Mack. I'm here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This can run cleaner than any baseball business sell the team oh yeah welcome back this is the past ball show on the mtr radio network don't forget to check out the iphone and android apps if you got one of those phones search mtr radio you get the mobile app you can stream it off your phone stream it in your car you know with an auxiliary plug listen to us 24 7 um pretty much uh all the time man we got continuous programming going on once again this is the past ball show i am john pielli and you know, we touched on some good things in the first hour. I'm probably not going to talk that much about the Mets. Um, I do have one potential guest that we're going to hear from hopefully in a little bit. But uh, prior to that, I want to start out by uh, analyzing a trade. And I don't think a lot of people are, you know, at least I haven't gotten really my, my, my much of my opinion on. And that involved the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians and, of course, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Shinsu Chu who I thought could have been a good fit with the Mets, as well as a lot of other teams, ends up going to Cincinnati in a trade that involves Drew Stubbs and Didi Gregorius. They both go to Cleveland, and of course Gregorius was flipped to Arizona for Trevor Bauer. And one team, and I think you could actually make a case, actually you want to make a case, a three-headed case here, how each one of these three teams could have won this trade. And you ask me, John, how, how could all three teams win the trade? And I think all three teams in their own mind could make a reason why they could come out on top. If you're the Cincinnati Reds, you look at how close you are. You're the defending AL, I'm sorry, National League Central Division champion, two out of three years. You got a team that's built for the now. You got enough pitching. You got obviously guys like Joey Votto and Jay Bruce. And you add a guy like Shinsu Chu, who certainly makes your outfield a lot better. You know, Chu, Ludwig, and Bruce is probably one of the more underrated outfields in baseball. And you look at the other players that they got on that team. Of course, Joey Votto, Todd Frazier breaking out last year. Uh, Devin Mezzarocco, the catcher, who really looks like a guy that could see a lot more out of this year. And if I was a fantasy league owner and this guy was available in the later rounds of my draft, I might want to take a chance on him. He's a guy that very well could break out this season. So if you're the Reds, you're more about the now. 
You're more about what are we going to do now to make our team the best. Plus, the fact that you have your center fielder in Drew Stubbs, who was a pretty good player and is a pretty good player, may help the Cleveland Indians out. But he's a guy that strikes out 200 times a season. And for a lot of the season was batting leadoff for you. So you supplement that with Chinsu Chu, I think it's an upgrade. Now on to the Cleveland Indians. The Indians end up with stubs. But looking at the market value, and you want to say Shinsu Chu for Drew Stubbs, obviously it was not a fair trade for the Cleveland Indians. But the Indians get back Didi Gregorius, the shortstop prospect, from the Reds, and they flip him to Arizona for Trevor Bauer. And this is the part of the deal that I like for the Cleveland Indians. Because whatever Trevor Bauer did in Arizona, whether it was his attitude or whatever, needs to be forgotten about pretty fast. Because this guy is a talented friggin' pitcher. He still has top of the rotation stuff. He has the ability to go in there and be the top of the rotation guy. And if you're the Cleveland Indians, you don't necessarily have a whole lot to be proud of when it comes to your starting pitching. I know they had a couple guys that really emerged in 2011 and took steps back in 2012. Uh, Justin Matherson, Masterson is still a top-of-the-rotation pitcher, but you add Trevor Bauer, who has a chance to be better than that. And odds are, if he is half of what he's been touted, he's going to be very good. So the Cleveland Indians, to come out of this trade with Trevor Bauer, they, they, look, they look very good. And now finally, you talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the Arizona Diamondbacks all offseason have been talking about one thing. And that's getting themselves a shortstop. They prefer a guy that's younger. That was part of the reason why they traded Stephen Drew last year and had no intention of re-signing him after this past season, whether they traded him or not. But they wanted to get younger at shortstop. But not only wanted to get younger, but they wanted a player that could be around for the next several years. And produce at a very good level. They had their eyes set on Jerickson Profar and Elvis Andrews, among others. They were looking for a shortstop that they could make as a fixture piece of their team going forward. And one of the guys on their list was Didi Gregorius. And Gregorius is probably going to make an impact in his first season in the big leagues. He's a guy that will play 150 155, 160 games immediately. And the thing that impresses me about this trade for the Arizona Diamondbacks is they still got Justin Upton. And the goal and what they were looking to do in possibly moving Justin Upton was to get a couple players, but one of them being a shortstop that's going to be with the team for a long time. Now, I'm not saying that they would have parted with Justin Upton in a trade for Didi Gregorius. But they got the shortstop that they were looking for and still have Upton. And, you know, which becomes a consistent topic on a pass ball show is what's going to happen with Justin Upton. I'm still telling you he's going to end up playing in Arizona when the season starts. I can't see a team going out there and putting the kind of package together to get Ken Kendrick and Josh Towers to want to part with this guy. 
Because the Diamondbacks are not just going to give them away for nothing. And you could be a fan of whatever team you want to be and throw your best package of players in there. And it's not going to be enough for what they want. And let's be honest. I mean, I mean, this doesn't get talked about enough. That Kevin Towers was searching in a trade with the Texas Rangers. That he wanted Jerkson Profar, Mike Olt, and Derek Holland. What team is going to offer a package that's close to that? Tell me. Because if you tell me what team it is, then we may have a deal. The bottom line is, and it's going to be said about a lot of other players, a lot of other top players on our team, because Justin Upton still is the best player on the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's only 25, he'll be 26 this season. This is a guy that's going to cost a small fortune for. That a team is not going to go out there and get them for a couple guys that are going to be up in two, three years. Because the Diamondbacks are about now. And I've mentioned it before. I think I mentioned it last week. That the Diamondbacks struggle this year. Kirk Gibson, as well-liked as he is in Major League Baseball, and as well-liked as he is with the Arizona Diamondbacks, their organization, their players, and their fans, is going to be on a hot seat if his team does not succeed next year. I could see him getting fired. If the Diamondbacks have a losing season this year, they are about the now. Ian Kennedy and Daniel Hudson and Trevor Cahill. And the moves that they've made, they are better. And they think they can compete with the likes of the San Francisco Giants and the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're not looking to finish third place. And if they traded Justin Upton for whatever your team's favorite your favorite team's package is, they would be quitting on the 2013 season. And the Diamondbacks are not on my list of teams that have quit for the 2013 season. And I mentioned before what my teams are. What the teams that I think feel like they got no chance and don't want to compete next year. The Miami Marlins, the Houston Astros, the New York Mets, the Minnesota Twins, possibly the Colorado Rockies, though they still have some star power. They do still have some star power, but their pitching is horrific. (coughs) Teams like the Chicago Cubs. There's a lot of teams out there that don't really expect to compete this coming season. But that being said, the Diamondbacks are not one of those teams. So when it comes to Justin Upton, I would say it would be a pretty borderline miracle to see him playing for another team next season. And that other team is going to have to go out of their way to overpay. And if you want if you want a database or a feeling or a feeler of what that package would be, start with Jerson Profar, Mike Holt, 
and Derek Holland. And you tell me, if your team, number one, has those type of players to give up, and number two, are willing to make a deal like that. And if if you say yes to the first one, I bet you you say no to the second one. So I'll say this for the last time. Justin Upton will be playing for the Arizona Diamondbacks next season. Quick break. Lots more coming on Passball Show after this. Hey everyone, this is Joel Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to mtrradio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) MTR Radio. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Networks. It's John Pielli. I'm going to get right into the Hall of Fame discussion. And I, if you checked out my Bases Empty blog, I posted who I felt should be the prime candidates for the Hall of Fame this year. And obviously a lot has been said about this Hall of Fame class because it's really the first significant class that was certainly tied to the steroids era. And the problem with this and the problem going forward with this is that you got to figure out which players did or did not use steroids. And obviously I find it tough to look at because you you can't tell. I mean, you're going to look at guys just because they're bigger, because a guy you know was built very well, because he worked out a lot. Was he definitely doing steroids? And I don't think it's fair to implicate every single player. But somebody else that looks at it may say, all right, well, anybody that played in that era had to be doing steroids. I think it's a matter of a different opinion. you got different opinions for different people. And, you know, here's the way I look at it. I think the guys that are more notably tied to the whole steroids thing, I think have to be left out. And in my opinion... It's not necessary that they're left out forever entirely. But I think very much right now when steroids are at the forefront when it comes to Major League Baseball players and what they're doing, what they've done, I think you have to leave them out now. Does that mean forever? I I don't think it means forever. But right now in this year's ballot, I think you have to leave out the guys that were most tied to it. But I broke down a category of players that are on the ballot, and obviously you had the newcomers, you know, Bonds, Clemens, Piazza, Schilling, Biggio, Sammy Sosa, Kenny Lofton, 
guys that have been there a while, guys getting towards the end of the ballot like Jack Morris and Dale Murphy, and guys that have been on the ballot for the last several years, such as Don Mattingly, Fred McGriff, Tim Raines, Edgar Martinez, Mark McGuire, Raphael Palmero, guys like that. So there's so many different categories of players, so many different types of players that are on the ballot. I broke it down into what I felt would be my ultimate selections and then the ones that would be the closest. <clears throat> and I came up with a list of 20 players that I think will either be in the Hall of Fame or be on the ballot next season. And I think that's fair enough. Considering I only have five of, uh, I'm sorry, I have, I'm sorry, 19 players, 19 players. Four of them will in, would get my vote to be in the Hall of Fame right now. And another 15 would be on the ballot next year in different categories. So I started out on my first four players. They're going to be, would get my vote for the Hall of Fame. And I would expect to be Hall of Famers this year. And I start out with Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio and his 3,000 hits. If he was a borderline Hall of Famer, I think the 3,000 hits put him over. <clears throat> he had some very good seasons, too. 125 runs, more, more than 125 runs three times, 146 one season. The 3,000 hits put him up. Next guy I would go to, and I, think, I still think is a no-doubter, and I don't understand why he doesn't get the credit that he's, he deserves, is Alan Trammell. And if you read my Bases Empty blog, if you heard me on a past ball show, I am the biggest advocate of Alan Trammell being in the Hall of Fame. Just look at his numbers and look at Barry Larkin's numbers. And you tell me why Barry Larkin is a Hall of Famer and Alan Trammell isn't. The fact that Barry Larkin is in the Hall of Fame, without a doubt, and no, <clears throat> very few people disputed the fact that he is a Hall of Famer, if you say that, then Alan Trammell has to be a Hall of Famer. And he would be my second choice outside of Biggio. My third choice would be a guy that played with Craig Biggio. <clears throat> and that's Jeff Bagwell. Jeff Bagwell's home run numbers are up there. He was a perennial all-star. He was a between a top five and a top ten player in the game every year of his prime. Amongst the best years of Jeff Bagwell's career. He was amongst the best player in baseball. He was amongst the best first baseman in baseball. And his numbers prove it. He was left off by some people as he received, what was it, 56 point something percent of the ballot last year in his first year of eligibility. The reason he was left off by some people are suspicion just because he played in the air. But I cannot blame the error that Jeff Bagwell played in as a reason to leave him off. Because you look at the guy, he was big and he hit home runs, but was never tied to steroids. For that reason, I put him in, in year two. And that's going to lead me to my fourth Hall of Famer. And I think I set it up perfectly. That if Jeff Bagwell is in the Hall of Fame for lack of suspicion of using steroids, 
that my boy Mike Piazza has got to be in the Hall of Fame. Not to mention what he did on his own. He was the greatest hitting catcher to ever play in this game. He did his job phenomenal. He was a power hitting catcher. He hit 370 one year. He had all those home runs. Was certainly a top five player during the prime of his career. For about five, seven, eight, nine, maybe even ten seasons. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. The only thing that might hold him back is not of how good of a player he is, but it's because of the same reason that you were suspicious over Jeff Bagwell using steroids because of the era that he played in. And I'm putting Bagwell in. And not because I want Mike Piazza to be in, but because Jeff Bagwell belongs in the Hall of Fame and Mike Piazza belongs in the Hall of Fame on his first year of eligibility. I will say at the very least, if Piazza ends up falling a couple votes short, maybe Bagwell gets in this year and Piazza next year. But the bottom line is both of those players belong in the Hall of Fame. So obviously I left out a lot of players. If I got Biggio and Trammell and Piazza and Bagwell in, there's a lot of players that are left out. So I get into my next set of list here. My next four players. And these are all players that are going to finish close but not quite. And I'm going to start out with a guy that everybody says is a Hall of Famer. Or a lot of people say is a Hall of Famer. And I just don't think he is. And that's Jack Morris. Jack Morris, who received 68% of the vote last year. A heck, I'm sorry, 66.7% of the vote last year. It's a heck of a lot of votes for a player who's not a Hall of Famer. And I think this class of potential Hall of Famers could do one of two things. Could say, you know, the, the, the baseball purist that wants to keep steroids out and doesn't want to vote for anybody that they think could be the slightest bit suspicious will want to leave him off. Will, would want to leave others off and put him in. But I also think the other side, if you look at the players that I have in, Craig Biggio getting a lot of votes, Alan Trammell getting a lot more votes than he's ever gotten, Mike Piazza and Jeff Bagwell would leave Morris out. And Jack Morris was a very good pitcher. He really was. He did a phenomenal job in his career. He was a big postseason pitcher. He did well with Detroit and, of course, with Minnesota in 1991 and you know pitched for Toronto the year they won the World Series in 92 and 93, though he didn't pitch in the 93 postseason. He, he, he did all right for himself. And when he got guys like Smoltz and Schilling and Bob Gibson, I think you can make a case that Morris belongs in that category. But I just don't think Jack Morris was as good of a regular season pitcher as those other pitchers. And you could put a pretty good matchup between Morris and Schilling and say that they're pretty close. But I think Morris is on the outside looking in. And that's why I have Schilling in this same 
category. Kurt Schilling. When it comes down to the history of baseball, he may be one of the greatest postseason pitchers to ever play in this game. You could start out what he did with 93 in the Philadelphia Phillies. Obviously wasn't dominating. He didn't take him to a World Series. But he did with the Diamondbacks in 2001. And his postseason in 2001 was phenomenal. You bring in the bloody sock game in 2004 against the Yankees. And then pitching in a World Series, helping them win there. And then being a major factor in the 2007 World Series team with the Red Sox. Kurt Schilling, Bob Gibson. Few others are in this list. And I think Kurt Schilling will get a heck of an amount of votes. But I think this first season of eligibility for Kurt Schilling is going to leave him a little bit short. Year two or year three, he becomes a no-doubter. Tim Raines. Tim Raines is a guy who I think the more you look at his stats, the more he grows on you. He's the kind of player that you look at. He's the kind of player that you look at and you say, well, the last five years of his career, he wasn't really an everyday player. And that may be my, my lone knock on him. And that may be the reason that I would leave him out of the Hall of Fame right now. But I think as time goes on, you're going to start to realize how good of a player he was. Because his days in Montreal were phenomenal. He was a very good player, if not great, with the Montreal Expos and then with the Chicago White Sox. And he put up numbers. And you see where he ranks. He belongs very close to the Hall of Fame. And the other player that I'm going to put in this group, and this is right on a borderline and just falling short this year, is the player that's going to suffer the most by not getting in this year. And that's Dale Murphy. And Dale Murphy had a Hall of Fame career, but may not have played long enough to be a no-doubter. But the more you look at his numbers the more you realize he belongs in a Hall of Fame that has Andre Dawson and Jim Rice. And you look at a lot of other players that have done about what Dale Murphy did in his career. And he's a guy that I think will get a lot of of votes this year. Similar to what I mentioned before about Nellie Fox. Nellie Fox getting 74.7% of the ballot in his final year of eligibility. And then gets selected in later on by the Veterans Committee. I think something similar will happen with Dale Murphy this season. Dale Murphy will get that high amount of votes. A higher vote amount of votes than he ever got before. A guy that got 14.5% of the ballot last season. Should get well up into the 60s and maybe even 70% this year. It's not going to be enough. 75% is not is not going to be what Dale Murphy gets this year. He's going to fall short. He's going to fall short. But he'll get in. 
the Veterans Committee. And you might want to save this audio if you don't believe me, if you don't believe that Dale Murphy's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Not this year, but a couple of years down the road, two to five, ten maybe. Maybe ten tops. But once all this steroid stuff gets cleaned out, whether these guys get in or not, or if baseball and their writers really put a clamp down on letting these guys that were linked to steroids in the Hall of Fame, then there's no reason that Dale Murphy will not be selected by the Veterans Committee in years down the road. So that would be the second category, the category of players that are just going to fall a little short. The next one's going to be the most interesting one because I think all these players could get up to 50% of the ballot. 50% is not 75%, so obviously they're not getting in. And I'm going to start off with two players for the most, who, for the most part, have been clean. One is Edgar Martinez, and the other is Fred McGriff. And we'll start out with Edgar, who takes a lot of, of flack because he was a designated hitter. But if you realize how dominant of a hitter he was, he was a perennial 300-plus hitter. He was a guy who would drive in between 90 and 110 runs every season. Every season, he was a perennial run producer. And you look at his numbers, he is a Hall of Famer. But he's going to fall short this year because there's just too many moving parts this year. You got the guys that I said are going in and the guys that are going to get close to getting in. And they're going to get a lot of the attention. But Edgar Martinez down the road, I could see getting more votes. Same about Fred McGriff. And Fred McGriff... I wrote I wrote about two factors that really hurt him. Number one, the amount of teams he played for. And number two, that he didn't get to 500 home runs. They finished with 493. I know he tried hard enough. He gave it his all. He got as close as he possibly could. He didn't have the 500 home runs. And in the pre-steroid era, if you got 500 home runs, that was a lock. But I think as these steroid players, the Bonses and the Sosas and the Palmeros and the Maguires continue to be on the ballot year in and year out, Fred McGriff's going to get more credit. Hideki Matt deserves some credit. He deserves some credit for what he did. And not, not just to mention what he did in 2009 in the postseason and how he finished, how he finished off how he finished his career, and he did a very good job. World Series MVP leading the Yankees in the 2009 World Series against the Philadelphia Phillies. There's the credit that he got for it. But how he started his career, winning that he was in, hitting the Grand Slam early on, and having those solid years where he was dependable, he was clutch, he was the player that you wanted up in a key situation in the game the bat in Hideki Matsui's hands. He was the guy that you wanted up. And Hideki was the guy who was always a gentleman. Obviously, part of it was the language barrier. But here's a guy that you really 
lot of respect for because he was one of the good guys. You know, when we talked about steroids, he wasn't using, using steroids. When you talk about the New York media, the guy, you know, the guy like a Reggie Jackson that wanted to ask for attention. He just wanted to go out there and play. And even if you were a Yankee fan or a team, if you were a Yankee hater, you want to do you wanted to respect you you had to respect Hideki Matsui and what he did. He will announce his retirement if he hasn't yet today. And I think he deserves a lot of credit. Great teammate, great player. And he's he's a he, listen, I don't see a lot of players that come in here and do what he did. Like I said, if he put his number did in Japan and what he did in the United States with the Yankees and then after that with Oakland and Los Angeles he has whole numbers fame numbers but you know here's a guy that you know certainly one of the better players one of the baseball players and I do give him credit but a couple more things before we finish up today. Passball show on TR Radio Networks. John Pielli taking you up until 7, where uh, Bill Zeltman's program will start. I believe it's MTR Sports Report, Philly Baseball Beat. I don't know if they're doing Italian Hour, but you know, Bill will keep you informed of what's going on after 7 o'clock. But the Mets uh, left-hand pitcher Aaron Laffey, formerly of the Toronto Blue Jays, to a minor league contract. It's not really newsworthy. I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's something to go nuts over and saying the Mets fill. I think he does give him some depth. A guy that could start the season in AAA. He could see him make some starts. Perhaps compete for a spot in the back of the rotation. But, you know, unlikely. But here's a guy that's going to go out there and, you know, compete. This isn't the answer for the Mets' fifth starter. And I did touch up on it in my blog the other day when I talked about who should as the Mets' fifth starter, who the Mets should go out there and sign. And there was a list of players or pitchers that the Mets were interested in. And it was guys like Carl Pavano and Joe Saunders and Markham and Chris Young. And I gave you the order of what I thought the Mets absolutely should do. And one guy that's not on the list right now that the Mets should pursue and Jair Jurgens of the Atlanta Braves. He's 27. He'll be 20, not too far removed from his best. He was a, an all-star in 2000, the Atlanta Braves. He was a very good pitcher up until last uh, 2011. Tough second half, ends up missing September with an injury. That being said, he's a guy worth taking a chance on. He could be had for probably not that much. Mike Pelfrey, got, Jair Jurgens should make less guaranteed. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was signed for a million or two. And that would be a bargain. You run him up there with whatever you got. You allow him a spot in your rotation. If he doesn't get the job done, you get rid of him. So whatever move the Mets make, should this be an addition to it. Aaron Laffey, Jair Jurgens, and one of these next four. And the one that the Mets should make the biggest effort to sign is Sean Markham. Because what he has done while he has been healthy speaks for itself. He was only 7-4 last year, but a 370 ERA. His ERA has been 
between, between about 3.38 and 3.7 over the last four or five seasons. He's about a 13 to 15 game winner. 124 innings, 109 hits, 57 to 36 record, 376 ERA. That's the spot that you could have a, a, a fifth starter with an upside. Not just to go out there and not keep you out of games and not lose your games. And that being said, that being said, I think it's something that's worth taking a shot. And if you can't get Sean Markham, because I think other teams are going to go out there and make the move, they're going to be in it. Sean Markham for somebody. You know, if you're not going to fork over the two years and the $14 million that it'll cost to add Sean Markham, then I think the Mets should just simply bring back Chris Young. And I said, oh, Chris Young, we already had him. Why would you want somebody that we already had? Or why would you want somebody that the team that I root for has already had? Young is another full season removed for the anterior capsule injury in his shoulder. He's going to be better this year. This injury that he's had, that he he waited that, that season in San to try to rehab. He's had uh, he's had it operated on. He's returned to the major league. Yes, he was a little shaky last season, four and nine, four fifteen ERA. But remember, he's still around four. He can still pitch. And I would take a chance for about on Chris Young for one season. I would want Markham first, but I would take a chance on Young if I couldn't get Markham. And you add Jurgens and others that could be there competing, I think it's a very, very good move. If you can't get Young, if Young signs with somebody else at the last minute, you set your eyes on Carl Pavano. Not Carl Pavano for a one- or two-year contract, but Carl Pavano minor league contract because let's be honest let's look at what's out there and look at what teams are looking to do nobody to pitch for Carl Pavano so you be the team that throws him the minor league offer you turn down now and if you do get turned down now you say listen this is a standing offer we'll hold on to it if you want to take it in another week or so do it and you could get Carl Pavano on a minor league contract a guy who you spring training if he doesn't show that it was any better than the 2-5, and 6-ERA season in 11 for the Minnesota Twins last year. And then finally, the problem that I'm least excited about is Joe Saunders. And it's not because Saunders is a bad pitcher. It's not because I think that Joe Saunders stinks. Joe Saunders, 9-13, ERA for Arizona and Baltimore last season. He's going to give you 170 to 200 innings. He's going to get over 100 strikeouts usually. 78 and 65, 415 career ERA. He's going to give you dependability. And to me, I don't have an issue with that. I have an issue with the Mets being able to pay him. Here's a guy that will get a two-year contract. And he may get up to about $20 million for two years. I don't see pennying up $20 million for two years for Joe Saunders. Perhaps he gets $18 million over two years. I still think that's will go that high. 
And I think there's going to be enough teams that are going to want depth middle to the back of their rotation that Joe Saunders will get enough when it comes to getting paid. So that's why the Mets are in it. That's why the Mets maybe will reach out to him. Maybe they'll make him a two-year offer of about 10 to 12, something like that. But in the end, he's going to go to the highest bidder, which will not be the news. But I really would like to see Sean Markham on this team. And I've talked before about guys in the outfield. And I'd like to see the Mets make a pitch for somebody and kind of surprise me. Get a Travis Snyder for nothing. Trade for some Peter Borges. Get Sean Markham. And figure out what to do with their bullpen. And if they do those things, then I'll be a lot more excited. I might not be placing my bet in Las Vegas for the Mets to win the World Series. But I'll be a lot more excited to get on the plane and go down to in Port St. Lucie in March. And all I want to see is just something. Show me something. Give me a reason to be excited enough to want to watch New York Mets baseball this season. Stop selling me about the future. The future, you know what You know what the thing about the future is? It's too far away to worry about right now. So many things could change between now and then. And the future may be may be great from 2014 to 2023. Just won't know that right now. And I'm not saying change that. I'm not saying ruin that. I'm not saying make it into to a point where there's no way it'll be good in the future. Leave what you got. But make the immediate future somewhat exciting. And whatever you can to not have an outfield of Lucas Duda and Kirk Neuenheit, Mike Baxter, Colin Calgill. We'll find out. Now, December 27, 2012. And February, when Mets pitchers and catchers report and the rest of the camp starts forming, we'll find out what happens then. Hopefully, the Mets will have better options in the outfield. I would like to see them add Markham. I think he's obtainable. I think for a deal, what Francisco Lariano got with the Pittsburgh Pirates, I think he's got he's much more value. He's a better pick than Francisco Lariano is. Lariano may have a slightly bigger upside, but Markham gives you more, and I would sign him. I would sign Jurgens and bring him to camp, and maybe Andrews, and let him compete. Because you always need more than five starters. And if Jurgens pitches his way in his staff, something will happen with somebody else, and you will not have too many starting pitchers. That's what I will end up doing. Do want to wrap up the show today with Josh Gibson. Jobs, yeah, excuse me, Josh Gibson. The Negro was born on December 21st, 1921. And the sad thing about it is way. In January of 1947. And of course what we all know about 1947 being a year that Jackie Robinson made his major league debut with the the Brooklyn Dodgers and broke the color barrier. Something that Josh was trying to do for years. Josh Gibson 
was probably the best pure power hitters to ever step on a baseball field. His Hall of Fame plaque, which was put up there in when he was inducted in 1972, says that he hit about 800 home runs. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. The stats, his stats and all the different leagues that he played in was not very good. The numbers that existed for the Major League Baseball players were not there to be calculated for what John did. And it's a shame. It is a damn shame that this guy is not Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, that, that he did not get a chance to play in Major League Baseball. He's in a whole, what he did as a Negro League player. And the saddest thing that could have happened was that he died January when there was a black player in the major leagues in April. And that was a shame. December 25th is the anniversary of the death of Billy Martin. In addition to being the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Billy Martin, of course, died unfortunately in a car accident in 1989. We did as a player with the Yankees and all the times he managed the Yankees. But one thing that was extremely, extremely consistent about Billy Martin was that he was a winner. He was a winner the field when he played. He was a winner when he was calling shots from the dugout when he was a manager. Every team, the Minnesota Twins, the Detroit Tigers, the Oakland Athletics, the Yankees, every team that he managed with him behind a bench. And here's a guy that I thought you have to start thinking about whether or not he was a Hall of Famer. And he may be. He may be a little short. But I could see down the road him being inducted in baseball's Hall of Fame as a manager. I understand he doesn't have the 20, 25-year pedigree that Whitey Herzog had, I mean, sort of had, or Bobby Cox had, or Tony La Russa had. But he was a game changer when he was a manager of a team. I had a team that I wanted to get better, I would hire him. And I wouldn't be, I would have been surprised if more teams didn't hire him. The Texas Rangers hired him. It seemed like any team that was going in the wrong direction would bring Billy Martin in, and that team would instantaneously get better. And in my opinion, he does Hall of Fame. And maybe the Veterans Committee will set up. You know, I know they got the new way that it's set up for the pre-integration error, the integration error to, uh, I think it's the, the, um, to, to the 70s or stuff like that and then the more current players. But I do see Billy Martin getting in over time. But you're looking at two things. Josh Gibson and the disgrace of him not being in the major leagues. And Billy Martin may be. And I know he's talked about a lot. He may be the most underrated great manager that Major League Baseball has ever had. So that's what I'm going to leave you on today. This is John Ball Show, of course. Want to thank Matt Antonelli for joining the program. We'll be back with you next week. Everybody, uh, hopefully you enjoyed your Christmas and your uh, whatever holiday you celebrate. And this will be the last show of the 12. 
season for the pass ball. So we'll see you next week in 2013. It's been real.